Well, I'd like to begin this morning by uh, expressing uh, a very happy Mother's Day to all of you who are mothers, grandmothers and mothers-to-be. Uh, we're just thrilled that you're here. You know, certainly you are the heroes of God's kingdom in many, many ways. Uh, your love, your prayers, your sacrifice, uh, your management of the family, your patience, your instruction, uh, your discipline of your children and your husbands um, is certainly noteworthy. <laughs> and so we bless you. We thank God for you. We understand that for some of you ladies, you, you've desired to be mothers, and in God's providence, that's not yet happened. And still others of you are single, and you're hoping to be married and have children someday, and that hasn't yet happened either. And so we join with you in asking God that the desires of your heart would come to full fruition. Now, few things in life are certain, but I can say unequivocally, 100% of you have a mother, either living or now deceased. And we want to pause right now just to say thanks to God for them. Uh, they carried us. They gave us birth. They nurtured and raised us, each one doing the best job that they possibly could with the constraints that they faced. And, you know, it wasn't until Tina and I had four kids of our own that I grew to more fully appreciate all that I put my mother through, <laughs> uh, all that uh, she actually did. And uh, it was amazing how wise she actually became in the process of us having our own children. But our mothers are God's gift to all of us. Without them, we would not be here in this room this morning. So let's pause to pray. Thank God for them and welcome in here. Lord, we, we start today by just saying thank you for our mothers and the gift that they were to carry us, to give us birth, to nurture us, care for us, raise us, each one uh, doing the best job that they possibly could in where they were in life. And so we say thank you. Thank you for your gift to us, the gift of life that came through our mothers. Lord, we pray your blessing now on them. I pray your blessing, God, on on all of those in this room today that are mothers, mothers-to-be and grandmothers, great-grandmothers, we just pray your blessing, Lord, and that you would return every investment of the kingdom that they've made in your name on our behalf and others. We pray for those who want to be moms and for whom that's not yet happened or those who desire to marry and be mothers. We pray, God, that you would hear the desires of their heart and answer them. And then, Lord, today we, we just say we, we welcome you among us. We, we desire for you to speak your word to our lives and bring your kingdom. That's the prayer you taught us to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. In your name, amen. Well, the United States celebrates Mother's Day on the second Sunday of May. Julia Ward Howard uh, first issued her Mother's Day proclamation in 1870. Uh, as a call for women to join in support of the disarmament movement. That's where it started. And in the next two decades, there were several attempts to further establish an American Mother's Day. Uh, those things didn't succeed. And the current holiday was actually uh, created by Anna Jarvis in Grafton, West Virginia, in 1908 as a day to honor her mother. Mother's Day um, but didn't really take off, though, until present, President Woodrow Wilson made it an official national holiday in 1914. Now, the current uh, holiday um, uh, became so, uh, uh, Mother's Day became so commercial that many people, including Jarvis, its originator, 
uh, actually ended up considering it uh, a hallmark holiday, you know, one that's overwhelmingly commercial, has a commercial purpose. And Jarvis eventually ended up opposing the holiday that she helped create. Uh, she died in 1948, regretting of what had become of her creation. So the lesson there is be, cap- be, be really careful what you wish for because you may actually get it and it may surprise you what it grows to look like. I like to use this Mother's Day as an opportunity to bless and affirm the role of all women in God's kingdom. Young, middle-aged, pressing towards maturity in the twilight years of life, whatever place and station you may hold, whatever your life story is, we, we want to bless you, ladies. Uh, you are truly the good fruit of God's good creation. I can't imagine actually a world without women, uh, without your perspective, your reason, your intuition, your capacities, your nurture, your care, your, your gifts, and your passions. Now, the lens through which we understand the larger storyline of the Bible is the kingdom of God. That is to say, the big sweeping narrative of the Bible is the story about a king and his kingdom, the establishment of God's kingdom by God's Savior for God's glory. And this story unfolds in four movements, creation, fall, redemption, consummation. And these four movements are going to provide the framework for my few comments today. Now, in the beginning, men and women were created equal in every respect. We read in the creation narrative, Genesis chapter 1, if you'd like to turn there, these verses. The text will be on the screen, but if you have a Bible, you can open to Genesis 1, and we're going to read together verses 26 to 28. Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Then God said, let's make human beings in our image to be like ourselves, they will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, and all the animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. And so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Now, you'll notice several things. First, the image of God, whatever that fully includes, as mysterious as it is, requires both genders to be fully expressed. Maleness and femaleness are required in order to completely reflect God's image in the earth, for God's image to be visible. And so this is to actually celebrate the physical, emotional, biological, relational differences between the genders as necessary in order for God's kingdom to be fully expressed. You know, it's just my way of thinking. You put just a bunch of men in a room together and you've got some serious limitations. (laughs) We need women fulfilling their creation mandate in order for God's kingdom to come in fullness on the earth for God to be completely revealed. The second thing that I noticed, among other things, in this text is that the blessing of verse 28 has no gender distinction. There's no hierarchy here. 
but rather a God-glorifying unity of purpose in both male and female, reflecting God's glory and reigning over and then caring for his creation. The blessing of God, verse 28, is bequeathed upon the man and the woman equally. And so this Holy Spirit-inspired record is the original blueprint for God's kingdom. Men and women created equally, called equally, blessed equally, and designed to reign and fulfill our purposes in the world equally. Regrettably, what started well didn't continue so well. We read the tragic turn in the story in Genesis chapter 3. Theologians call this event the fall, as in the fall into sin. And this is the second movement of the creation or the kingdom story. Eve, the first woman, was tempted by the serpent, uh, Satan in the form of a serpent, to disobey God by eating the fruit of the forbidden tree, the knowledge of good and evil. And she collapsed to this temptation, and she deliberately sinned against God, drawing Adam, her husband, into the sin with her as well. And in the balance of chapter 3 in Genesis, God curses the serpent, the woman, the man, and then ultimately creation itself. And specifically, he said to the woman, you'll give birth to children in pain, yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Genesis 3.16. Now, while there's been a great deal of debate as to what God actually meant when he told Eve and all women to follow that her husband was to rule over her, Subsequently, through history, there's been a tendency by men as a result of this curse to dominate and oppress women, both married and single. It manifests in all kinds and forms of gender discrimination and stereotypes of many ways in many cultures. And today we still see a very rampant sex slave industry, the exploitation of females, the oppression against women in many forms, and even occupational sexism that is expressed in discrimination or harassment or uh, a wage gap between men and women for uh, equivalent jobs. And all of this patriarchal subjugation and dominance of women is a negative outcome and consequence because of the fall that we see here in Genesis 3. It's, uh, it's It's never been God's original desire. Thankfully, Jesus came to bring God's kingdom to redeem us from the curse and to restore men and women and ultimately all of creation to God's original intent. That's the third movement in the sweeping story of the kingdom, creation, fall, redemption. Now, seen against the backdrop of Judaism, the way in which Jesus taught and related to women was revolutionary. In the context of the Jewish religion, Uh, Women were regarded as the source and seat of all sin, as in sin began with a woman, and thanks to her, we all die. Women were considered inferior to men in every aspect. Women were not supposed to speak, uh, men were not supposed to speak with women other than their wives, and men who did so were thought of as bringing evil to themselves. In the synagogues, uh, men and women had to sit separately, and women were to learn and listen in silence. And so in stark contrast to the religion and culture of the day, Jesus elevated the place and status of women. 
He said they are created equal in the image of God, and they're worthy of dignity and respect. Consider, for example, these illustrations uh, in Jesus' life and ministry. The first news of the incarnation went to a woman. In fact, his gospel birth narratives center around the faith and feelings of Mary, his mother, um, her cousin Elizabeth, and Anna the prophetess. The first miracle was performed for a woman at her wedding, John 2. The first Samaritan convert was a woman, John 4. The first person told clearly by Jesus that he was the Messiah was a woman in John 4. He ministers to a Canaanite woman, Matthew 15. He heals Peter's mother-in-law, Matthew 8. He allows a woman with a negative public reputation to wipe his feet with her hair, John 12. A ceremonially unclean, socially ostracized woman is welcomed by Jesus, allowed to touch him, and she receives his healing in Mark chapter 5. In the parable of the lost coin, Jesus implies that the woman represents God, Luke 15. The virgin uh, in, in, in the parable of the bridesmaids indicate preparedness and readiness for Christ's return, Matthew 25. Prayer is illustrated by the persistent widow in Luke 18. Jesus blesses Mary to sit at his feet and learn, Luke chapter 10. A group of women actually traveled with Jesus and supported him financially, Luke chapter 8. Women were the first witnesses of the resurrection, Mark 16. Jesus made a personal post-resurrection appearance to Mary, John 20. And neither is there any gender distinction in Jesus' mandate to the church in the Great Commission, Matthew 28. Now, these events are not earth-shaking news to us 21st century Westerners who've read the Gospels through the lens of our current cultural worldview. But these were countercultural and completely radical practices in Jesus' day. And so this incomplete list is nevertheless illustrative of the ways that Jesus highly valued and honored women. Now, in addition, the biblical record of the early church is rich with evidence that men and women were considered equal in the church. I like to think that the inclusion of women in the ministry of the life of the local church uh, was, was part of its DNA from the very beginning. For instance, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost and the church was birthed, um, both genders were filled with the Holy Spirit and uh, empowered for amazing works in ministry uh, together equally. For instance, when Peter stood on that day to explain the phenomena that was happening, he quoted from the Old Testament prophet Joel, and he said, quote, In the last days, God says, I'll pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams, and even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they'll prophesy. And so from its very beginning, there were no gender barriers when it came to the work, the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. 
men and women alike. Women were prophetesses. Philip the evangelist had four virgin daughters who had this gift, Acts 21.9. Priscilla was a teacher, Acts 18.26. Women served as deaconesses. Paul references Phoebe in Romans 16.1. Nympha was a leader of a house church in Colossians 4.5. Paul even references Andronicus and Junia as highly respected among the apostles, Romans 16. Women apostles. Iodia and Syntyche were his co-workers, Philippians 4. And as you read the New Testament letters, any place where personal greetings are exchanged, men men and women are, are both mentioned in almost every conceivable sense. And so, based on the the ministry of Christ and the overarching tone of the New Testament, uh, we're convinced that one of the results of redemption is that Christ now defines all people. No longer do ethnic or gender differences serve as a means of dividing people. I'd like to read now in what many believe to be the Magna Carta of human uh, freedom in uh, God's kingdom. It's found in the uh, book of Galatians, the third chapter. Galatians 3, we're going to read 13 and 14, and then the conclusion of the chapter beginning verse 26. Paul's letter to the Galatians, he writes in verse 13, Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it's written in the scripture, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Through Christ Jesus, God's blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham, so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Continue in verse 26. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 28. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. So Christ redeems us from the curse that was set into motion through Adam and Eve's sin and specifically and captured in the law. The New Testament teaches us that Jesus' death rescues us from the kingdom of darkness and translates us into the kingdom of his dear son. In the kingdom, our sin is forgiven, we are made new, and men and women alike are now heirs of the promise of blessing that God made to our spiritual forefather, Adam, uh, Abraham. In, in Genesis 12, we can read that particular promise of blessing. And basically, it says that we are blessed to be a blessing to the whole world. And we are now, uh, in Christ, recipients of that blessing. And this blessing comes equally to men and women. In the coming of the kingdom, that which Adam and Eve originally surrendered in the garden is now restored. That's what redemption is is about. Men and women created equally, called equally, blessed equally, designed to rule and reign over a limited sphere of creation equally, designed to be a blessing to all the world equally. Now, certainly, we understand that men and women uh, are different in many respects. You don't have to be a physician or a sociologist to understand that. Just look around. Right. 
many respects, physical capacities, mental and emotional wiring, personality and temperament, the way we navigate relationships, the, the ways in which our needs for security and significance are, are you know, fleshed out and, and met. But in terms of our standing before God, in terms of our capacity for receiving blessing and being used by God to be a blessing uh, to others, uh, we are equal. Our capacity to, to rule and to reign and fulfill God's creation mandate of Genesis 1 and 2 and 3, we, we are equal. So in Christ, in the coming of the kingdom, that is to say, as we live in the last days where the power and presence of the future age is now breaking into the present in the kingdom, that's what it means to live today, uh, there are no gender distinctions. That is to say, we bless and release women to function in any role for which they're called and for which they have both the character and the gifting and enablement by the Holy Spirit that's appropriate for the task. As citizens of God's kingdom, there's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, all are one in Christ. And in that sense, we advocate against the hierarchy of men over women in church government, in ministry, in marriage, in politics, other social institutions. We like to say it this way, in the kingdom, our functions are rooted in our calling, our gifting, and our character, but not our gender. So ladies, we bless you as equal in honor and in standing before God and your capacity for receiving his blessings and your empowerment through the Holy Spirit to serve in whatever ways that God has called and equipped you to serve. Specifically, in the vineyard movement in in general around the world, and in our local church in, in particular, this means that there are no roles that are specifically off limits to women. Um, you can serve as teachers, small group leaders, worship leaders, pastors, multi-site campus pastors, uh, givers, tech team members, deaconesses, apostles, church planters, kids leaders, prayer ministry team members, intercessors, cross-cultural missionaries, and church planters, whatever you wish, providing you are pressing towards Christ-likeness and you are gifted and called by the Holy Spirit to serve in those tasks. Now, we are very aware that there are several biblical passages which seem to contradict these beliefs. 1 Timothy 2, 11 to 15, which seems to forbid women to teach or have authority over men. And 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 34 to 35, which seem to indicate that women are to be silent in the church. This sermon is neither the the time or place or the format to to more thoroughly unpack all the implications of these two verses. But let me just say a couple of comments right up front. For centuries, scholars with the command of both the original language and an understanding of the culture have debated the intended meaning of these two texts in particular and have arrived at contradictory conclusions. And that's because, quite frankly, they are difficult texts to exegete in the original language. I think it's unfortunate that in the history of the church, uh, what, what the vineyard would characterize as a misinterpretation of these texts has dominated the view of, of the role in women, uh, role of women in, women in the church, that they cannot teach, that they cannot lead, and must be silent. And our conviction is that these passages are correcting problems in the early church, 
and simply we embrace the central overarching biblical theme of the equality of women and the end of sexism in the redemption of Christ. And so please understand, though, that this is not a crusade against any other church, organization, or denomination that views things differently. We honor those that look at the same text and arrive at a conclusion that's different than ours. But but it is to say that we are committed uh, to blessing women as equals in God's kingdom. Now, the fourth and final movement in God's grand story, the story of the king and the kingdom, is consummation, creation, fall, redemption, consummation, or perhaps completion might be an easier way to understand it. And I'd like to look at just a couple of scriptures that give us a glimpse into where we're headed. The first is in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, where Paul gives us a snapshot of the coming fullness of the kingdom. Ephesians 1, verses 9 and 10. God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ in heaven and on earth. All things being summed up under Christ is where the kingdom is headed. Now, the Apostle John gives us another collection of snapshots in the book of Revelation about what this will look like. And so I'd like to read now Revelation 21, the first five verses. We're going to get a a, a snapshot from a different angle. John says, chapter 21, Revelation, verses 1 to 5, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a a loud shout from the throne, saying, Look! God's home is now among his people. He'll live with them, and they'll be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then in chapter 22, we read these verses, verses 3 to 5. No longer will there be a curse on anything. For the throne of God and the Lamb of God and the Lamb, and of the Lamb will be there and his servants will worship him and they'll see his face and his name will be written on their foreheads and there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun for the Lord God will shine on them and they will reign forever and ever. So when the kingdom is completed or consummated, men and women alike will be living in the presence of God in a newly remade heaven and earth on the earth, because the curse is gone. And as the text indicates, we will be reigning with God. Co-immortal, co-equal, co-heirs, ruling and reigning with Jesus, the Lamb, whatever that means. But it seems to me that it indicates there's some kind of continuity between this life, and the one that we will have then. We don't just go through a heavenly adjuster machine and everything suddenly dramatically changes. That there's there's some sense of continuity in what we do on the earth, preparing and equipping us to be those people who rule and reign as overcomers in the new kingdom, in the newly remade 
heaven and earth. And so in order to more fully prepare for our future role, I believe it's the church's responsibility to help ladies discover and fulfill their unique contribution to God's kingdom now, to get prepared. Every one of you ladies has the capacity to bring God glory with your life right now. Jesus prayed, Father, I brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And every one of you gals has the capacity to discover and to fulfill the work that God has for you to do. And when you do that, you bring God the Father glory. Every one of you has the capacity to bring God glory with your life right now as you discover and fulfill your God-given God -given destiny, as you use your unique life spheres of influence to impact for the sake of the God's kingdom, uh, whether that's in the home or on the job or in the classroom or in the boardroom or in the factory or in the office, in relationships, on the web, in your writing, in your speaking, in your serving, in your creating, in your making music, making art, or whatever. And so we just want to bless you in discovering and fulfilling the role in God's kingdom that God has for you right now. And the history of the church is, is liberally saturated with encouraging stories about how women uh, have done this as, as they've pressed into God and his purposes for their lives. In some cases, as homemakers, Abigail Adams, our second first lady, and Susanna Wesley, the mother of Charles and John, uh, are notable stories. I encourage you, you may be interested to read their biographies. Powerful. In some, in some other cases, as humanitarians, we all know, of course, the story of Mother Teresa, who followed the advice of her Catholic parish priest, walk your own road. And we're all grateful for the road that Mother Teresa chose to walk. And then in other cases, as scientists or businesswomen or missionaries or entrepreneurs or teachers or doctors or nurses or researchers or or pastors or university presidents or every other conceivable role. God's used them. I'd like to close just by telling you uh, about Ling Wu. That's not her real name, but I did have the privilege of meeting her when I traveled to China in March of 2009. She's single, in her mid-30s, slight of stature, unimpressive physically, wouldn't ever pick her out of a crowd. She serves as the pastor of a growing spirit-filled church in Beijing, China tirelessly serves a flock of now about 60 people that meets on Sundays in an eighth floor of a, of a hotel that the owners are sympathetic towards the cause of Christ, even though they themselves aren't Christian. She preaches. She teaches. She translates Vineyard Bible Institute training materials into Mandarin Chinese on behalf of the church. She oversees and raises up house church leaders, counsels, encourages, resolves conflict, and does everything else pastors do. Oh, and she also has a full-time job by which she earns her living. As do thousands of other women in the church, in China, in Latin, in South America, and across Southeast Asia. Thousands. So today, we just celebrate the rich diversity of, of the body of Christ by honoring and blessing and affirming the role of all of you women in God's kingdom. 
you are the children of God. You've been created in his, in his image. You've been called and redeemed and are in the process of being restored and now equipped for the destiny that God has prepared for you. Lord, we're just grateful that your word is of life. And I pray that even today you would use these words as, as a way of encouraging and blessing and stirring the heart of all of our women, Lord, to love you and serve you with everything that they've got and to more fully and completely fulfill the destiny that's on their life by your Holy Spirit. We're grateful, Lord, that uh, we've been redeemed and that in you, Lord, there's life and restoration and healing and blessing. And I pray, Lord, that even today serve your purposes of enlarging the capacity of your church, this church and your church at large, because of uh, what you want to do in and through every woman here. Thank you, God, for your, your life. We thank you that you came to give us real life. And we celebrate those gifts by offering to you now our, our hearts and hands in song and uh, our gifts of money that, that may help the kingdom move forward. Put your blessing on those who, uh, Lord, are, are giving today and those who desire to give, but because of life's constraints can't. Lord, we just pray that you'd use these gifts to further your purposes in your name. Amen.